Welcome to Red Wine and Blue Jeans. I'm Michelle Alexander and thanks for joining me on a journey to explore the best ways to age as we navigate the second half of life. Our guest is Jenny Webster, who at the age of 55 is fearlessly taking on the title of entrepreneur and advocate. On meeting Jenny, she comes across as positive, confident and funny. It is easy not to realize that she has severe vision loss, which she has strived to hide since the age of nine. Vision loss is only one of the challenges that Jenny has faced. But through adversity has come amazing wisdom. Her story about finding a purpose to life that guides her ongoing journey and her witty banter about dealing with adversity is truly inspirational. family of four children um, and when I was about eight or nine my brother was diagnosed with um, Stargardt's disease a form of macular degeneration and it's um, genetic carried on the recessive gene so it very seldom you know appears dominantly so when he was diagnosed they tested the rest of us um, and then myself and my younger sibling she we were both diagnosed um, with Stargardt's disease, and we're told that we're going to go blind. Um, so it was Gosh. happening as a family, and all three of us handled it differently. Yeah. How did you handle it? For me, yeah. I think I was immediately terrified. I really imagined that I was going to be a beggar. I'd never seen blind people before except begging. Um mm someone with a white cane or somebody, you know, with dark glasses on being sort of um, hauled around. <laughs> so I really went into this place where I thought I'm going to have to look out for myself. Who's going to want to marry me? Who's going to want to befriend me? How will I get a job? Um, you know, what does my future hold? And, and I think fear, I was quite gripped with fear around that. Now, when I look at the screen, because I we were doing this online, this interview, and when I look at the screen, I see a really pretty woman with a, a beautiful smile. You're always smiling, Jenny, and um, and beautiful blue eyes, and so that's what I'm seeing. What are you seeing when you look at me? I'm not seeing you. I I can see the back ground there's a lot of confusing images on the screen they're just colors baby blobs of color and then um i i tore a hole in a sticky note to put around the camera so i know where to aim my nose <laughs> so as uh, visual impairment is very confusing it's on the scale the blindness is a spectrum it's not an on off switch so just to explain that, and so low vision, what I've got is quite severe low vision, is it's just very, very confusing. And people can have the same disease and they experience it differently. Some have moving blind spots and others have, um, you know, they can see on the peripheral, that they can still read a book, but they can't walk independently. So you might see someone as a guide dog, you know, walking with them, then they sit on a bench and take out a book and read it. And people think, well, you know, they're pretending. Um, 
oh, that's sort of a tunnel vision or retinitis pigmentosa, whereas I've got something which affects the central part of the eyesight. So the faster I move, the more my blind spots are covered. And um, yeah, so it's really, um, many seniors get this age-related macular degeneration. It, it stops your ability to be able to focus. Um, yeah, mm. so it's confusing so, and it's emotionally quite exhausting just to have your eyes open. The, the story that you've told about your childhood is almost as if you were an overachiever in your life because you wanted to prove that you weren't different. Would that yeah. be true? Absolutely. It's a good form of dissociation. <laughs> I applied mm. all my energy to trying to prove to myself that I was okay. Um, in hindsight, I don't think it was very helpful um, because I became what I called the great pretender. Um, yes. So at one, at one stage, I was, I was head girl of the school and we had all these grade eights standing outside for assembly and I had to do shoe inspection. And so I was just walking up and down with this, as you look at my face, my face looks normal and I've got this constant smile on my face, which is actually something that people with um, central vision loss do. It's called passing. It's making, because you don't know what other people's faces are doing. So I've never learned yeah. to put the right thing on my face. I'm not sure what's meant to be there, what expression. Yeah. But anyway, so it's this kind of neutral look of kind of happiness, like a dolphin almost. And um, and then I'd walk up and down these lines of, it was straight back and my hands behind my back. And I'd look down at these blobs of brown at the bottom of the socks. You know, I could see white where the socks were. And, but if someone was in their slippers, I wouldn't have noticed. Um, I just I just would stop and look at someone and say, who cleans your shoes? And these young grade eights were terrified of me. And then they'd say, oh, no, 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 I clean them myself. Um, so there were little things like that that happened that people, they really didn't know. And I was um, a great pretender. Mm. But, uh, but you actually, uh, your way of dealing with imposter syndrome <laughs> was to be was to be genuinely really good at everything. I mean, you were very successful at athletics. I don't know. Is that right? Mm. I don't know how you yes, did that. Yes, yes, I, I, I just moved fast. I even played, can you believe it? I mean, I was declared legally blind in 1985 in the days when they still had a register for that. And um, and I actually had made the Southern Transvaal C team hockey the previous year. Um, it was I would just chase whatever was white on a green field, and as long as it was moving, I would know where the goals were, and I'd pop that into the goals. Good so hints, that's amazing. Yeah, so I was actually the top goal scorer in my year, but I had to be running with the ball. So I had to, as long as it was happening in front of me, I had the skill to keep it. Then I could hear it. So when it was too noisy, I was um, confused. And then um, we played um, in winter under yellow lights with a yellow ball. And then I said to the coach, I said, sorry, I, I can't play. I can't see the ball. And she said, what's wrong? And I told her about my eyesight. And she said, well, why didn't you say that beforehand? And mm. I said, well, I thought it would affect my selection. But because of that, it also meant that I was I was living with a lot of adrenaline. And I think that amount of adrenaline all the time is just exhausting. Um, very, very much so. Mm. Very much so. Mm. And damaging, I think. Yeah, uh, and I think that's be... why later on in life it really took its toll on my health. And I was diagnosed with yes. cancer in my 40s. And I think that cancer was actually from years of just living a high adrenaline life every day. Yeah. 
um, just to get out to, to go to a children's party was extremely exhausting. But I had little clues on how to work out what was where and who was there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I use now. I talk about visual clues. You know, as seniors lose their eyesight, I'm like helping them look for clues. Um, yes. Even if you can't see the objects or see the faces, there's a lot of information, sort of color and movement and light information that one can use more usefully when you learn how. I don't know how you did this, but you went on to to university you went on to marriage, you went on to having children, <laughs> which all of which is, is, is quite daunting in itself, let alone with a disability. So you certainly went out of your way to be completely normal um, on the surface at any rate to, to anybody watching mm. you. Mm. Well, what is normal? Mm. The, the one lady says it's a setting on your tumble dryer. <laughs> you know who is normal you know who wears the comparative line and and at the end of the day i think what i love about this journey is that nobody's normal yes we are all unique and all trying to fit into some kind of um, appropriate description of ourselves and others um and i think that's where yeah this it, the, the eyesight thing did cause an identity crisis in me um, mm. And just realizing, but that's what we all have in common, whether you can see or can't see. It's about seeing yourself. Um, it's more about perception and worldview. And who am I and what am I doing here? And mm. so I think that the lack of vision has really been quite fun to play on those words around sight and insight um, perspectives. Mm. Um the wisdom that one gains, when, that one wishes one had in one's early life. Um, <laughs> you said that, that there was a second major turning point in your life in your 40s, am I correct? Mm, yes, yes. Um, as, my, as I went into empty nesting, though, my kids got busy with other things. And um, my husband looked at different aspects of his career and just realizing there's place here. I need to step up and get some independence around this. I need to upskill myself. Um, and as I started to upskill myself, I realized, wow, there's a whole world out here I haven't explored yet. Um, and then just at that point, I was diagnosed with, with breast cancer. Um, oh, and I had, I had the, the best form of um, cancer you can get the most treatable and I'm glad I'm through that but it really led to seven years of complications um, and a a lot of infections and in and out of hospital and uh, at one stage you know I said to my husband look I I I could actually just die now it would just be easier and um, he didn't say no you can't he said you well if you need to that's okay um, and I think when you're faced with a life and death situation where you think, what now? What happens? Um, why am, do I want to live? Um, you face eternity. And I think that's what I found. I found eternity in my heart. And I thought, yeah, I want to live. And not to achieve anything. If And I came up with two things with help of my husband. We, we decided that to live would be my first priority. And the second one would to be to love. So if I could just do those two things, it's going to be worth it. 
Um, and on the loving side, I was so used to trying to be in a place to give love, but I hadn't grown in receiving it because I hadn't yes. learned to be weak. Yes. And the best gift that cancer gave me was learning to be weak, to accept vulnerability and to say, it's not great, but it's okay. I'm here. So it seems so base <laughs> to get to that place. It's not. Um, it's extremely, extremely difficult to to get to that mm. decision. Where, I mean, that was a, a, literally a, a life or death decision that you were facing, and the fact mm. that you actually, in that time, worked out why it was worth while to continue living. Um, is 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 quite a remarkable wise point in life to arrive at because i'm i think most of us are still not quite sure about the answer to why are we here what are we doing what is our purpose mm. why are we living um, yeah. and you 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 had you faced that what age yeah, were you? I don't 45? Yeah, about, about 45, yes, 45 yeah. when I was diagnosed. And um, it's not like I get it all right. And I think um, the one thing with disability, it doesn't make you a hero. Um, sickness as well doesn't make you some kind of um, superhuman um, when you conquer th things. It's, you know, it's taking that moment to say, what can I learn about myself in this? But um, we learn and we grow in self-awareness through these gridlocks. And I'm so grateful. Andre took me down to the Helen Keller Low Vision Services and said, please teach her to be as blind as she is. Um, yeah. And that, and that was very good. And it was the beginning of my acceptance of my need for help, um, of saying, you know what, my life is still worth it. Even if I can't see, there's a, a bunch of other things I can do. So let me you know, upskill and, and do what I want to do um, within the parameters of what I can cope with emotionally and physically. But um, you're now 55 and you are starting like a whole new, exciting, completely new uh, experience in your life, which I think is taking enormous courage. Can you tell us about it? Yeah. Uh, I can, whether it's courage or it's just <laughs> completely a blind faith, literally. <laughs> it's just stepping out and not knowing what I'm stepping into. Um, yes, yeah, so um, because of the the expense of assistive technology for people with visually impairment, it's very expensive, all the, it's a brilliant technology out in the world at the moment, but not always very user-friendly. So I created a product Um for people to be able to use their cell phones or their tablets to be able to access information, text, and to do crafts. And, you know, I just relaxed doing crafts. And so I thought, I just want to be able to pick up stitches when I drop them on my knitting or thread a needle or whatever. It's so frustrating. So I made a, a, a stand, a device stand for myself. And then people thought, oh, that's a good idea. I started making a few more for other people. And eventually someone said, well, enter this competition. So um, and I landed up winning an award with the South African Breweries Foundation Disability Empowerment Awards. So my product is still um, in the process of being refined at the moment. Um, but in this process, there's a whole other aspect around the inclusion of technology in the digital space. 
So just as if the person is visually impaired, um, finding out how to change your physical environment to be more peaceful on your eyes and reduce visual clutter. I found that in the online space, there's some fantastic accessibility built into cell phones. And I think that is a wonderful if you know how to use it firstly, um, but and if it's designed correctly. So there's not much knowledge about design for low vision. And that's why I say visual clues. So that's where I'm consulting into that um, the idea of put, how do you put visual clues within your shopping apps and the banking platforms so that you're still including your seniors um, with low vision, but also people who are just stressed. You know, stress takes its toll on your eyesight as well. Mm. And after, after COVID, so much, pe- so many people spending so much time um, on the screen. What yes. usually happens in terms of farsightedness in your forties is now going to be happening in your thirties. So looking forward, we have this this real visual crisis coming our way that um I, you know some of our younger app developers are not quite aware yet of you know the power of design to help people feel included or not and mm. so as you're going forward I'm, i've just realized that my product has opened a way for me to really consult and bring awareness around inclusion of seniors um, because if you take the 15% disability sector and add in your senior population into the future, where we're living longer with all the medical intervention, we really have a market, a, a massive market over 20 to 25% of customers that we need to um, accommodate yes. um, if we want to keep our customer base. Um, and so inclusion huge. Is, mm. is very important. Um, and fortunately, I'm blind enough to be able to see that. Um, yeah. because I'm experiencing yes. this in my 50s and not in my yes. 70s. But, yes. you know, a lot of the people, if, if if businesses could get on board with this now, they can design for their own future because there'll be many people, hopefully listening to the podcast as well, who would be seniors within the next 20 years and are going to need some accommodations mm. um, around, you know, anything to do with eyesight, hearing, um, perception, and stress levels. You know, designed peaceful environments, less visual clutter, um, easy to use, great for third language users. Yeah, so I'm looking at the market now. And I suppose it's 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 a message to people: don't be scared of technology. It it can be wonderful and and extremely helpful in terms of living I your think- life. Yeah, and I've said I what some people see as a as a nice to have or say yes I need my phone, but for me it's my eyes, it's my ears, it's my it's my lists, it's my go to uh, assistant. So my phone is an accessibility device. At fifty five, I think uh, you are sort of on the at the beginning of the <laughs> the thirty year <laughs> journey. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, what are your thoughts about? Um, do you think about the journey ahead? Is is longevity something that you think about? Um, I do, and I think just like everyone else, you know. If so, what I've found is that if I get scared of the future, it's just stop and push pause and look at now. And I find gratitude is actually very helpful for quelling fear. Yes, we need to prepare for our future, but have we got control over it? No. It, it doesn't matter how well we've prepared for our future. If you're going to lonely, you know, 
so you might have the finances there, but you need to take people with you. So I think you need, you know, you've got to look at it logically and emotionally. Um, for me, I do have something that I have had. Um, I've had a brain tumor radiated and which will have side effects into my life into within the next 10 years. So oh that my gosh, me, Jenny. Yeah. So you, that's, you left that, that out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a no, it's a no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was not on my mind <laughs> you just so, conveniently yeah, I mean, forgot that little exactly <laughs> well i mean how, how do you wrap your head around a brain tumor literally yeah. <laughs> so anyway yeah. no it is it is shrinking and so yeah i just didn't want to tell more bad news i've got such a yay uh story i don't want to like people say, oh, shame the poor woman, she's got something else as well. Um, you know, so <laughs> I'm just thinking of not devastating the listener. So, <laughs> no, listen, but the listener's going to say, oh my God, my life's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I thought of this week? You know, yeah, looking towards the future, I thought if I had all the money in the world, what would I do? And I had a giggle to myself. I would take a deck chair and an umbrella because I'm pink skinned. And I would go and sit next to the side of a road like a beggar. And I'd put up a sign that says free listening. Oh my gosh. And I would go <laughs> free sit. listening. I would go back to my free listening. I would go back to that image that I had of my child as a beggar. But I would switch the board around. Instead of having the hands out to give, I would have the hands to say, come sit and tell your story. So if I had all the money in the world, that's what I'd do with, I'd do with my life. Who are you? Why are you on the planet? What is your pain? What is your journey? How do you take your pain and switch it around? How do you turn that thing upside down that you use it for good in someone else's life? Because whatever pain you're going through, you know, I bet your bottom dollar, or should we choose a rand, that it is um, that it's something that someone else needs help with. Yeah. So whether there's been abuse in your life, when you've processed that pain and got help with it, you're there for other people who've gone through abuse. Yeah. If you've had a business that fails, chances are you've worked through it, you've got a successful business now, and you're able to help other people who are feeling well, how am I going to cope? This business is failing. Mm. And um, and that's probably where your passion lies, is somewhere in, in your story. Yes. So that fascinates I, me, um, is how people can process their painful purpose. You know, and also just to be able to go kind of with a flow. You plan, but you walk lightly. You know, you plan your way, but you need to be walk lightly and gratefully every day. Mm. Uh, and, and, and just to embrace the surprises that um, one has along the way. Good or bad. People you meet. Yeah. And, yeah. Circumstances you face. This podcast is brought to you by Shire Consulting and Refinement Network. Production is by Digital Storyteller. Thank you.